First pasuk in this week's parsha is Hakadosh Baruch Hu's first instruction to the first Jew in the history of the world. Some of us, I think, don't realize that Adam Arishon wasn't Jewish. Avram Avinu was the first Jew. So, in some ways, that means that the words "Lech Lecha Me'artzcha Mimoladetcha Mibeis Havicha" leave your land, your birthplace and the house of your father, in some ways, that must embody every single instruction that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us afterwards. The question is, what does that mean? How could it be that the mitzvah of tzitzis, the mitzvah of davening, how could it be that somehow those are included in the words, Lech lecha me'artzacha Tonight what I want to share with you is not particularly sophisticated, but it's arguably one of the most important things that we can learn. One can't help but notice, if you're paying attention to the Chumash, that the Dar HaFlaga, the generation of those people that built Migdal Bavel, are juxtaposed to the story of Avram Avinu. The question is, what's the message that the Torah is communicating to us? And I think the message is quite obvious. The Dor HaFlaga was a generation that lived with fear. What was the nature of the fear of the Dor HaFlaga? The nature of the fear was that we will be destroyed. Everyone can hear me? Yeah? yeah. That was my nice way of saying, everyone could hear me? Yeah? yeah. Okay, good. The, um, I, get, I have ADHD. I get easily distracted by people that think I can't see them. I have glasses. I can see all the way to the back. It's an amazing thing. You should stop no, do whatever you want. I'm just saying I can see. Um, the Dora Flaga lived with the fear of destruction. How do people respond under the threat of destruction? The response generally is from a place of fear we need to create some sort of arbitrary thing that we can all unify ourselves around. That's what people do when they're afraid. Like, just as a silly, silly muscle for this, um, when you speak to kids in high school, I'm sure you went through this, and that they asked you, where are you thinking about going for seminary? So you'll say, I'm between these two seminaries, some of it comes down to where my friends go. Why is that? Because coming to Israel can be a terrifying proposition, no? And you'll hear, this is what I've heard, tell me if you uh, said something similar. Uh, you'll hear people go like, I don't need to come with a lot of friends, but I need to come with like a core group. Like, this is what the guys in yeshiva go. I need to come with like three guys. If it's three guys, I can manage it. You're coming to a yeshiva of a hundred plus guys. Why are those three guys so important? The answer is because when you get there, the first thing that you're encountering in yeshiva, in seminary, is you're encountering vulnerability. And so you're afraid. And when you're afraid, what do you need? You need people who you can be around, people who are like you. That's the, uh, that's the buzzword of the first couple weeks of sem, no? I don't know if these are my types of girls that, that 
very judgmental line that you put out there, right? What does that really mean? If you unpack it, what does it mean? I don't know if these are my types of girls. There's a sense, and it comes from a place of weakness, often. There's a sense of, if I'm around like-minded people, then I'm okay. You ever have that? But if I'm around different people, it could be terrifying. Because people have different ideas, people have different ways of seeing the world, and there's an, a sort of unstable ground when there's no uniformity. The generation of the flood, they basically lived with the fear that the flood would happen to them again. So they said, let's make a project. We'll all build this project together. We'll all think the same thoughts. We'll all speak the same language. Did you know that there were police in the times of Migdal Bavel that ensured that people would only share the same types of ideas? Nobody was allowed to speak a different language. And we know that what was their punishment? Their punishment was, no, this is not good. And the reason it's not good, and this is the main point that I want to make tonight, the reason it's not good is because very often people mistake conformity for unity. There's a lot of talk right now in Klal Yisrael, beautiful talk, about achtos. The question is, what does achtos mean, right? You girls have this spirit-strong initiative, right? What's the point of this spirit-strong initiative? We want to create achtos in Klal Yisrael. What does achtos mean? Achtos has the capacity to be exceptionally dangerous if it's done wrong. Because some people think achtos means everyone doing the same exact thing. That's what achtos, they think that's what achtos means. That's an exceptionally dangerous idea. That's a, that's a communist idea. Everyone will think the same things, and we will accomplish a tremendous amount that way. And by the way, I have no doubt that that's true. If you've ever been a group, a part of a group of people that all thought the same thing, and that we're all in on a project together, how fast does that project get done? The answer is it gets done very fast. But once you start to have differing ideas, all of a sudden things take time, right? You ever notice that institutions take time to do things? I'll give you an example of this. This is a silly example. We had this morning, I was Zohar to see your brother, we had this morning a, an amazing, amazing, amazing day in Mivasaret. Today, Eish Gesher came to Mivasaret for the day. It was a beautiful morning. They came, first thing we did is the Rosh Hashiva spoke, we had Tehillim, then we sang Achenu together, then there was a Shmuz, then there was learning in the base Medrash, then a Shir from Berkovitz, Rosh Shiva Vesh Gesher, then there was Ball. It was a beautiful day. But there were some silly things that got in the way today. Silly things, things that nobody saw behind the scenes. Like, for example, we had 300 people in Yeshiva today, between the Eish Gesher Abayim, the Mavaseret guys, the Eish Gesher guys, the Eish Gesher Abayim. In our Chadar we have a wall in the back of the Chadar that opens. I wanted the wall to be open so that there would be more space. Other people wanted the wall to be closed so that there would be less space. They didn't want to have to, on the other side is the shul, they didn't want to have to clean up the shul. Also, they felt like maybe it'll be better if everybody's packed in together. It'll force more guys to like schmooze with each other as opposed to just staying in their own Daladamos. Do you know that we spent time, this is going to sound ridiculous, on a day like today, we spent time talking about should the wall of the Chadarochel be open. Does that sound ridiculous to you? It should sound ridiculous to you. Why in the world, on a day like today, are we spending time talking about a wall? What's the answer to that question? Because once you have differing ideas, the people in leadership positions all have something unique to contribute. So what does that mean? Everybody has to have a voice. 
I'll give you another example of this. Yeah? I'll give you another example of this. Um, how should we serve the food in the Chararocha? The kitchen staff, obviously, what do they want to do? They're serving 300 people. What do they want? They want to come and just put all the food in the middle, and all the guys will come descending. Have you ever seen guys go to a Chararocha? I, I think it's amazing, the system that you have here with like the food on the side from Chef Rina. I want you to know, in that system, you, if, if it was yeshiva, nobody would eat. Because guys would come and they would just empty the entire thing onto their plate. It's like, it's like you're just dumping it on. In yeshiva, we bring out some food, guys take. Then we bring out the next round of food, guys take. Then we bring out a third round of food. That's very hard to do with 300 people. So the kitchen's like, are you serious? You want me to serve every single table their own individual tray of lasagna? But yes, it makes a difference. Whenever you want to go fast, then you need conformity. But listen, if you want to go, not fast, but if you want to go far, then you need diversity. And the greatest expression of unity is diversity. And that's where most people make a mistake. Most people think diversity, especially today, because diversity has been used as like a cudgel for certain groups of people to be able to get their agenda passed. Anytime you say something, you go, you're not being diverse. Actually, if you look at what's happening in the world today in the name of diversity, it's the greatest conformity. In fact, people have stopped learning how to use language. Right? So what happens? If you, you'll see that all these people in the name of diversity all use the same, they use the same words. I'll give you an example of this. Um, if you've been on social media, and I hope you haven't, but if you've been on social media, or even if you've been on media, regular media, you know what everyone calls Palestine? Everyone. An open-air prison. How did they all come up with those words? If you look at Twitter, it's just scroll. Type in the word Palestine and just scroll. It's an open-air prison. It's an open-air prison. It's an open-air prison. What happened to individuality of thought? All these people in the name of individuality of thought are just parroting what somebody else said. Right? In the name of diversity, they say, you're punching down on me. I've never heard that phrase in my life until a couple of years ago, and now I can't stop hearing that phrase. The irony of what's happening in today's generation is they're pushing diversity, but they're pushing diversity so much that it's creating conformity. So, for example, if you have a different idea than I have, you know what we do? We cancel you. That's the definition of conformity. If you think differently than me, you're canceled. We can't have reasonable debates. People can't argue anymore. Because once you say something, it becomes like this like echo chamber of like, no, you're wrong. March to the beat of our drum, be diverse. March to the beat of our drum, be diverse. Do you hear how crazy that is? In the name of, in the name of unity, in the name of diversity, they've created conformity. Judaism has a radical belief. And this radical belief is shayach to every single person in this room without exception. We believe that the greatest expression of unity is diversity. If God is infinite, that means he creates an infinite amount of diversity in this world. I have a question. What do you think this world would look like? What do you think this room would look like? If right now everybody in this room was radically themselves... This room would be the most fascinating room to sit in ever. If each one of us were totally courageous, totally unafraid to be ourselves, what would we be? We would be the most fascinating room right now in the world. Imagine if you came in with no preconceived notions and you said, and I put a topic out there and you said, what do you think about this? 
you know the amount of amazing ideas and approaches that we would get? I, I had just now a, a, a shear in Mavaseret. I'm still flying from this year. I'm coming off of the best 40 minutes of the year. It was a 40-minute shear. I barely spoke. It was a 40-minute shear, and it was the best 40 minutes that I've had this year by far. I asked the boys in this shear to write up their own tefillahs, to take the brachas of Shemona Esrei and to write what those brachas mean to them, but to actually make a tefillah out of it. To literally just go through and take the general concepts of the tefillah, but then to write their own tefillah. It was amazing. The words that came out of these young men's mouths were so inspiring because they spoke truthfully. It's a group, we only have 12 guys in this year, and whatever gets said in the room stays in the room. So they're really able to be honest and authentic because there's a tremendous amount of trust in the room. Nothing that gets said in the room leaves the room. And they were all taking basically the same tefillos. A bunch of guys spoke about Rafa'enu, a bunch of guys spoke about Barachalenu, a bunch of guys spoke about Hashivenu. But the diversity of thought in the room was so impressive, and guys said real things. Guys spoke about their pain, guys spoke about their struggles, guys spoke about their frustrations. I wish I could tell you details. I can't because it's a private room and nothing that goes, in the, goes on in the room comes out of the room. But it was the most inspiring thing. These guys were writing tefillos. I was crying in the middle of the room. I'm just sitting there crying. Each guy is reading his tefillos. I'm sitting there like, it was unbelievable. <coughs> I told the guys, I was like, this is the most inspiring 40 minutes of this year. I can't remember, these guys are so unbelievably deep, I can't remember a group of guys this deep in that particular shear since five years ago. It's been five years since I met a group of guys that are this deep. And the only reason that they were this deep, they've all been this deep all the time. But you know why they don't get to be this deep all the time? Because who would have the courage to get up and say real things? Who would have the courage to write a tefillah to God that includes all their pain, all their suffering, and then say it out loud in a room? Diversity requires safety, but it requires understanding what unity really is. Unity means I am unique. You know, my wife, she had a, uh, she had a teacher in seminary whose name was Rav Nachman Bolman, Zecher Tzadik Lavracha. My oldest daughter's name is Bracha Nachama, because after Rav Bolman passed away, right after Rav Bolman passed away, my daughter was born. And Rav Bolman was a very special person to my wife. For those who are in share with my wife, you can ask her about her relationship with Rav Bolman. But my wife, she has lines that she heard. She had amazing teachers. I used to, when we first got married, I used to like make fun of her because she would repeat the same lines because she had these amazing Rebbeim. So she would always like have these like one-liners that she heard from her Rebbeim. And she like wrote them down or like, in, you know, like internalized them. So I would say like, you know, like a vending machine. If you press A4, then you get to hear this line from Rav Bowman. If you press like A6, you get to hear this line from Rav Orlowick. She had amazing lines. Rav Bowman's line was, don't clip their wings. Don't clip their wings. I heard that statement from my wife. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. Don't clip their wings. Do you know that we do that to children? Do you know that we clip children's wings? That the second they start to fly, we as parents get afraid that maybe they're going to go somewhere that we don't want them to, so we clip their wings. The second the child starts to express something that maybe is different than everybody else, we go, wait, 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 wait. you're going to say something that's not going to be like everybody else. Slow down here. But the truth of the matter is that the great thinkers are the ones that thought differently. They're not the ones that think the same. We have to allow people to be themselves. Imagine if we took away all the pressures of money in the world, and you didn't have to be a therapist. You know what I mean. A speech therapist, an occupational therapist, an art therapist, a hydrotherapist. That's just being a lifeguard, right? Like, 
Mm -hmm. We we told these girls, you don't have to be, Angela, we told you girls, you don't have to be a therapist. You don't have to be a nursing home administrator. What would you be? If you could be anything, what would you be? Maybe. And that's beautiful. Isn't that great? You know, there's a guy who came to me in yeshiva, and he, he's, he's an amazing guy. And he said to me, he's like, I have a problem, Rabbi. I'm an artist. But like, it's really unsafe to be an artist. Because I don't know if you're able to support a family being an artist. And we had this conversation about what it would look like to create safety for him to be an artist. But in the conversation, I said to him, I'm like, can you stop being an artist? And he goes, no, I can't. I was like, well, if you can't stop being an artist, then why are we having this conversation? If you could stop being an artist, you're not an artist. Anyone here who's an artist knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you're an artist and somebody says, stop being an artist, go, being, go be an accountant, that's murder. You can't be an accountant if you're an artist. You can't. You'll be sitting in your cubicle the entire time making art. Art just flows out of you. Now, a person has to be responsible. But if you're an artist, you're an artist. You can't stop being an artist. The very first words that God says to Avram Avinu are, can you stop being a product of your environment and be yourself? That's an amazing message from a chinuch lesson. It means that every single mitzvah in the Torah is meant to be an expression of you. So people say this all the time, like, I don't know, like, does God need my tefillah? Isn't that the same tefillah as everybody else's tefillah? If your davening is the same as everybody else's davening, I got news for you, you're not davening. You're not davening. You th- I said the words. What do you mean? I shuckled like I was having a seizure. I held the sitter up to my head. I held my elbow. I shuckled real tight. You know that move? You know this one? I once dated a girl. I knew she was very from because her sitter was covered in makeup. All the tears that rubbed off her makeup, all over the sitter. I was like, wow, she must be exceptionally from. I hold my sitter a safe distance away from my, from my face. And my makeup doesn't rub off so easily. <laughs> You're not davening because you're shuckling. You're davening because you're talking in your own words to Hashem. I, but you'll say there's a sitter. That's an opportunity to think to yourself, what do you want to say to Hashem? You say, but I give tzedakah and the next person gives tzedakah. Really? Your tzedakah is the same? Everyone's tzedakah is the same? And you think, but I put a dollar in the pushka and she put a dollar in the pushka. If you put a dollar in the pushka the same way she puts a dollar in the pushka, you did not put a dollar in the pushka. But I did, I did that action. Just because you did the action doesn't mean you did the mitzvah. I'm not saying you're not getting schar, but like think about that. If you're giving tzedakah isn't an expression of you, then what are we talking about here? Do you know that there's a halacha that if one letter is missing in a Sefer Torah, it's puzzle? You know why you know that halacha? Because every single shear in the world says every Jew is important. Do you ever hear that? Every Jew is important. Even if one letter in a Torah is missing, the Sefer Torah is possible. You know there's another halacha? No two letters are allowed to be touching. You know why? Because it's true that every Jew is important, but it's also true that every single Jew has to be an individual. There has to be space around you to be your own creative self. And if you're just doing it because everybody else is doing it, it's not going to last. And it's not true. It's not you. You know, there was, a, uh, there was a yeshiva back in the day. I don't want to say the name of this yeshiva, but I'm going to be very honest with you. I wanted a switch to that yeshiva. I was very jealous. I looked over at my friends that were in that yeshiva, and I saw that these guys were steiging. All of a sudden, they went from wearing this shirt to that shirt. All of a sudden, they got different haircuts, and they wore different yarmulkes. And I was like, those guys are really flying. And I seriously considered leaving Mivasara where I was. 
And I went to Shalvim for Shabbos. And in Shalvim, because I said, I need to get out of my basar, I need to clear my head. So I went to my friends in Shalvim for Shabbos. And it happens to be that that week in Shalvim, Rav Shechter from YU was the in Shabbos Rebbe. And so a lot of guys from a lot of different yeshivas had come to hear of Shechter. And there was a group of guys from this yeshiva, this like really great place that I wanted to switch to. And I, I was talking to, uh, to one of the Shanabek guys, and I said, yeah, I'm considering switching. And he said, why? I said, I don't know, I feel like I'm looking around in Mivaser and the guys aren't like doing it like the guys in your yeshiva. And he said to me, can I give you a piece of advice? I said, sure. He goes, don't switch. I said, really, why? I would have thought this guy, he was like, he was like one of these like spits that yeshiva guys. I thought he would have been recruiting me like crazy. I was like a little insulted, like, you don't want me? Like, I'm not good enough? He's like, you don't understand. In our yeshiva, you know why people do this? Because in our yeshiva, people do this. He said, in your yeshiva, the guys that actually make it, it might not look as, it, it might not look as amazing. He said, but what you're doing is real. You're not doing it because anybody else did it. You're doing it because you're doing it. And I was like, that's crazy. It's such a good point. Because if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to do it no matter where I go for the rest of my life. And I chose to stay in Mavasar. A lot of my friends who are in that yeshiva, you should know, they might have learned more than me in their Shana Aleph and their Shana Bet. But if you look at them now, a lot of those guys, they didn't hold on to it. Because if you're only doing it because it's a product of your environment, then it's not real. Being real means Why am I doing a mitzvah? Not because I grew up Jewish. I'm doing a mitzvah because I own it. You know, a lot of people, they struggle with their Judaism. It's like, how am I supposed to get into this? How am I supposed to get into this? If you're struggling with your Judaism, maybe because, maybe, just maybe, it's because you never took the time to ask yourself, what's your role in this thing? This is the, we're marching to the beat of this drum. Everybody's doing it. Everybody gets married at this age. Everybody raises their kids in this community. Everybody sends their kids to the same school. Congratulations, you've learned to march very well. But there's nothing great about marching. There's nothing great about conformity. There's something amazing about unity. There's a, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. There's a great, there was a great Rosh Hashiva. Even though officially he wasn't a Rosh Hashiva, and even though officially he wasn't even a rabbi. But he was probably the most influential person in all of America Torah Judaism. Mm. And his name was Rav Shraga Feivel Mendelovich. Have you girls ever heard of Rav Shraga Feivel? Yeah. Rav Shraga Feivel was the founder of the first yeshiva in America. He was the founder of the yeshiva Tarvadas. And he, would, he was very humble. And he didn't even like to be called Rav Shraga Feivel because he said, I never got smicha. So he would only answer to the name Mr. Mendelovich. Even though, of course, he was very far from Mr. Mendelovich. He was a great Tomokhachim. In fact, the story goes that when Ner Yisrael was founded, they were like, doing a big, like, uh, a big like, thing for the building. They were doing what's called like, a uh, Hanukkah Zabayas. So they invited Rosh Hashanah to Baltimore to come speak. And Rav Ruderman, who was the great Rosh Hashiva of Ner Yisrael, he got up and he introduced Rosh Hashanah and he said, you know, he spoke about Rosh Hashanah's role in American Judaism. And then he said, without further ado, Rosh Hashanah Mendelovich. And everybody stood up except for Rav Shaga Feivel, who stayed seated like this. And Rav Ruderman said, Rav Shaga Feivel. And Rav Shaga Feivel like this. So Rav Shaga Feivel. And move. Finally, Rav Ruderman let out an exasperated sigh, and he goes, Mr. Mendelovich. Rav Shaga Feivel got up, and he came to speak. He was a very humble man. I want to tell you a little bit about Rav Shaga Feivel Mendelovich, who's one of my personal heroes. They had a kasha, they had a question on Rav Shaga Feivel. Torah Vedas had a very, very unique approach to Chinuch. 
It used to be there were Litvashi yeshivas and Hasidish yeshivas. In Tervedas, there were both. There were Litvish Rebbeim and Hasidish Rebbeim. And somebody came over to Roshad of Eibel and they had a complaint. They said, you're confusing the boys. They're learning Hasidus, they're learning Litvish Torah, they're learning from all these different people, you're going to confuse them. So Roshad of Eibel said, I want to share with you the following mashal. He said, there was once a father who had two daughters. And the daughters wanted to get married. The minig in those days was something called kest. You girls know what kest is? Kest is when you marry off your daughter, you provide food for your daughter and her son and your son-in-law. So his oldest daughter got married, and the deal was this son-in-law, he was like me, he only ate meat. He only ate meat. So Shagafival said that this guy, the first son-in-law, they would come over every day and they would only have meat. But the second daughter married a guy who would only eat milchiks. So they had a situation in the house where what are they gonna do? This one only eats milchiks, this one only eats fleshiks. So this man was a wealthy man, so he set up in his house three tables. The table where he and his wife would sit, the table where his daughter would sit with her, with her husband, and they would eat fleshiks, and the other table where the daughter would eat milchiks with her husband. Unfortunately, Roshad HaFaibel said, the family fell on hard times. And the father said, listen, I can still provide food for you, but I can no longer afford to provide fleshiks one day and milchiks another day for both of you guys. I have to be able to split it up. One day fleshiks, one day milchiks. So they said, okay, that's what you can afford. So they came, they sat down the first day, and this one sat at his table, and this one sat at his table. And the father looks at them and he goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you sitting at, why are you sitting at different tables? He said, what do you mean? This is where we sit. So the father said, listen, listen to this idea. He said, as long as you were eating fleshiks and you were eating milchiks, it made sense to sit at separate tables. But if we're all eating milchiks, we should sit at the same table. If we're all eating fleshiks, we should sit at the same table. Seder Shagafival. It used to be in Europe, there were great gedolim. Chassidah Sherebas, unbelievable tzaddikim, and there were great Rashi yeshiva. But we fell on hard times after the Holocaust. And we lost a tremendous amount of people. Now we're all sitting at the same table. We may as well learn the same Torah. We're, we're, we don't have that much Torah to go around. So Roshua was a revolutionary because in his own yeshiva, what did he have? He had diversity. And I want to tell you where Roshua got this idea from. Roshua said it. He said the Eitzah is in Gan Eden. Girls, you know this. Where is the Eitzah located in Gan Eden? It's not described as anywhere but where? In the middle. If you want Torah, you know how you have to be able to come at Torah? From all different angles. Today we have this thing. Teaching someone how to learn. Teaching someone how to think. How crazy is that? Do you hear those words? I'm going to teach you how to think. That's a crazy thing to tell someone. You not have a brain? That you need to be taught how to think? Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky said, in Slabadka, the great yeshiva, he said that the, that the altar of Slabadka was makbid, that they would have very short shirim, only 20 minutes apiece. Because he was makbid that the boys should learn how to think for themselves. And Rav Yaakov said about himself, which was of course a statement of humility, he said, some people asked Eisenakashas, that means like iron questions, like sharp, sharp cutting questions. He said, I would ask Holtzana questions, wooden questions, very basic, very simple questions, not questions that cut through the sudya. He said, but from my Holtzana Kashas, I was able to come up with some good chedushim. But you know, we would take a boy like that today, and we would say, oh, you ask Holtzana Kashas, I'm going to teach you how to ask Eisen Akashas. We would take, take a girl who has these, all these amazing ideas, and rather than putting her in front of a chumash and saying, what do you think Pshad is here? You read the Ramban, what does it mean to you? Instead of doing that, we say, this is the hashkafa that you should follow. And we clip your wings when we do that. 
We're not teaching diversity. We're teaching conformity. And the Torah is the most diverse thing in the world. Do you know what a Gemara is? A Gemara is one giant argument. If you learn Gemara, you know what it is? Somebody says something and they go, it can't be because of this. The other one goes, no, no, it's that. And then they go, this and that. It, the whole thing is diversity. The whole thing is two people who thought differently. That's the whole side of all of Tyra. I want to finish with a story. It's a story that just took place. The hero of the story, his name is Yair Unzbacher. Yair Unzbacher, on Simchas Torah, traveled down to the south to be able to rescue people. He's well trained in this area. Yair Unzbacher, he came to a certain place without getting into the details, and he basically had to prove to the people that was there that he was Jewish, that they should let him in, and he did. And he got in and he said he was sitting in this Miklat area with all these Jews, and he was walking around and he was just hugging Jews. And he said, today I can't help myself, I'm just hugging Jews. He's walking around the last two weeks and just everywhere he goes, he's hugging Jews. But Yair Unzbacher saw terrible things. And he couldn't daven. You know, if you see terrible things, it's hard to daven. So he did something. He opened up the Lubavitcher Rebbe's letters. Do you girls know that there's something called Igris Kaidish? Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote letters. So he decided to open up at a random page, to open up to see. Yair told this story. He said, I decided to open it up at a random page to see what advice I would get. And he opened up to a page where the man writing the letter was writing the letter because he was having trouble davening. And the Rebbe responded to this person that had written to him. He said, sometimes it's hard to daven when all you are is yourself. Sometimes a person has to be more than themselves. They have to be all of Klal Yisrael. So daven not for yourself. Daven because you're part of Am Yisrael. You're representative of all of Am Yisrael. We are in a tremendous time of achdus. But I want to know, what does that achdus mean? Does that achdus mean... We had this question by the panel Friday night. I should have answered it better. I'm answering it better right now. How do we create achdus with people that are different than us? Just the opposite. How could you create achdus with people that are the same as you? It's not, it's not impressive to create achdus with people that are the same as you. That's not achdus. You're already the same. It's impressive to create achdus with people that are different than you. How can you honor and respect and cherish and love those that have diametrically opposed views to yours? How can you create a space where everybody can live together? How can we reach out to our brothers and sisters? It's not impressive. I'm telling you right now. It's not impressive. Everyone here, we're going to create achdus. There's going to be a a Shabbaton between Tomer Devorah and, I don't know, fill in the name of the seminary. It's important. I'm not saying it's not important. but That's not the achdus we're talking about. I'm talking about the achdus on the bus from the girl who's sitting next to you who grew up in a way that you have no connection to whatsoever. That you, have, you can't fathom what it was like to live her life. If you can't appreciate that girl, that's not achdus. How can you sit across the aisle from somebody who believes in a completely different vision of what it should look like here in Israel and say, it doesn't matter what you believe, we can debate beliefs, but you should know Kodem Kol more than anything, you're my sister. That's achdus. How can we go around hugging every single Jew and every time we daven, not just davening for ourselves, but davening, I am Klal Yisrael. That's the type of tefillah every one of us needs to have today. Are we doing amazing chesed initiatives with the Spirit Strong? For sure we are, and we should take advantage, and it's going to be awesome. 
But if it stops at our seminary bubble world, at our yeshiva league world, that's not the goal. The goal is to reach out to people that are fundamentally different than you. We're a nation of unique people. Unfortunately, for some, for some, as I see from the outside, I don't want to say not nice things, but I see from the outside, some people, they're very good at creating soldiers. They're very good at creating everyone wear the same uniform. Everyone march the same way. Everyone think the same way. Everyone dive in the same way. I think we're getting better at it. But if, if, we, don't, if we don't fight the tide of this type of diseased thinking, then we are living in a dar haflaga. We're commanded to leave it all behind and to be unique. Uniqueness is vulnerable. Okay. That's the name of the game. The name of the game is bravery. The name of the game is courage. The Baal Shem Tov said that Arev means three things. Arev means to be a guarantor. Arev means to mix. And Arev means sweet. Baal Shem Tov said they all go together. Kol Yisrael Arevim Zelazet. Every single Jew is a guarantor for every single other Jew. If you know that you're a guarantor for every single other Jew, then you know what we are? We're mixed up together. And how sweet is it when Jews are mixed up together? Don't be in the echo chamber of today's social media world. You know what people do? They go on Twitter and they follow all the same people. They follow, I'm going to follow these 200 people. And these 200 people all say the same thing. So you know what you become? You become programmed. Ah, I'm going to think like this. I'm going to use this language. It's going to make me seem very unique. It's not uniqueness. It's conformity. Turn off all social media and ask yourself, what do you think? Find out your truth for yourself. Bezer Hashem. If you're willing to do that, you'll be fascinating. You know what it's like? I, I know I said I was going to end, but I have to say this. You know what it's like to go out on a date with a boring guy? Now, how could you possibly know? You've never done that before. I want to tell you what it's like. You ask a guy, what did you do in your life? Uh, I went to yeshiva. What did you do in the summer? The yeshiva had a camp. What did you do when you weren't in the yeshiva or the camp? We had a seed program. What do, what do you do in your spare time? I don't know. I like to like, learn. What else? Sometimes I go on Tulim. Anyone want to date that guy? No. It's not a fun date. You want to know what a fascinating date is? What do you do? I'm in yeshiva. What's that like? It's amazing. When I, when I like, hear my Rebbe's Torah, and I really like, think about how he approached the sugya, and then I think about how I approach the sugya, it really makes me appreciate the depth of like genius that he has in the sugya, I aspire to be able to find my own voice of genius in the sugya. You fascinated now? Yeah. What do you do in the summer? It's amazing. We go up to camp together. It's a little bit of a different type of environment. We're still learning in the morning, but it's more chill. There's more time with the guys. I really like hanging out with the guys. The guys that I hang out with, we all like fight about these ideas all the time, but we love each other very much. We would always have each other's back. A little bit more fascinating, right? What do you do? I like to go on to Ulim. Where do you like to go? You know, everywhere. I just like to explore. I learn things when I explore. It's fascinating, right? There was a girl here in Tomer Devora who when she came for Shabbos, she told us, she's like, I take day trips. And she was not a student here. She was a majicha. I take day trips to other countries. And I was like, what do you do? Like, yeah. We'll wake up early in the morning. It's like a $25 flight. And we'll go to like Vienna for the day. And I was like, so curious. The whole conversation, the whole day was like, what do you do in Vienna? Yeah, I, I just have these, I, I go everywhere, I tour. Fascinating people. Every person in this room is a fascinating person, if you'll allow yourself to be. Or, you can choose to dull yourself, and you can choose to say, no, 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 I'm typical. Typical is very safe, it'll get you exactly where you want to go. I encourage you 
do not be typical. Have a good job, girls.